Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. So I want to begin with a story because there's people who are more relational and identify more with stories. So, so, so here it is, 10 years ago, 2009, I'm in high school, finishing up. My family starts to go to a different church. I kind of, I grew up, I call it nominal or kind of quasi-Christian, where we like kind of did the things, but it wasn't anything that was real to me. It wasn't anything that I really cared about, but it was stuff that we did. So we went to church on and off. 2009, my family starts to go to a different church, and uh, at this point in my life, 17, 18, uh, I'm sleeping with my girlfriend. I am regularly getting plastered on the weekends. I am uh, making my way through high school well enough so that I can go to college. But really, that's, that's just, as long as I can get there and play football and kind of get into that scene, I'm good. So there was no real academic ambition beyond just kind of graduating and keeping a, a certain GPA to get to school. Um, but, but so I, I knew some, in terms of kind of my relation to God, I knew some Bible truths, but I, I, I didn't know Jesus for myself. Uh, and so we would go to church at this new church my parents started going to, and I would, God, God was at work enough in my life to where I would, I would stand there during worship and I would feel God. I would, I would often just feel conviction, <laughs> and, and I would weep, and then I would quickly wipe my face and dry, you know, dry my face from the tears and, and go back to doing the same things that I was doing, trying to like wipe off the feelings of, of conviction and like regret and shame and go, go right back into it. Uh, in, this, in this season of my life, going to this church maybe more regularly as graduation's approaching, I, I meet this lady named Sherry. Sherry was a, at this point, uh, just a middle-aged mom, woman in the church, an art teacher at a local school, uh, but, she, but she carried a, a, just a deeply prophetic gifting. And I, I remember before I had given my life to Jesus in a, in a moment where it was December of 2009, this is before that, she, she just continued to kind of pursue me whenever I was at church. She would, she'd talk to me, but, but she carried in herself just this, this kind of peculiar way where she, where she would just speak like God's call over my life and destiny over me and God's purposes into me where I didn't even know how to categorize. I didn't even know what was happening, but I knew every time that she talked that there was this weightiness and there was this holiness and that even though I didn't know where to put it, I knew that God was like speaking through her into my life. And it was one of the pieces that God used to really launch me and, and, and just turn my life around in so many ways to be oriented towards him. Uh, she was a gift in the, in the time that I was regularly going to that church Then I eventually you know, I was at college, hardly ever back at home with my parents. But there was just, 
the season where, where I could just look back and just say she was this, this person was such a gift to my life and to my own development, to my own growth, where I desperately needed God's voice and affirmation. Uh, so where I can look back and just well up with humility and gratefulness that so many of the things that she spoke over me, I'm now living. Wow. Like 10 years later, I look back and I was like, I, God, I don't even know. I just, I just am so humbled by the fact that you were speaking through this woman who could speak into my life where I didn't even know my left or my right. And now a decade later, in many ways, I'm living what she was seeing so as, as Bill mentions, uh, we're starting a series today is, is looking at the different ways that Jesus has set up his church to mature, enable to grow spiritually into who they're made to be. There's many ways that that happens, but we'll look at a past in five or six weeks just to give us a, a helpful framework for the year. Again, we're in this year-long grace and truth. John 1, 17 says, Jesus, law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. And so the goal, you can think of it like this, at the end of 2019, the goal is that as a community, we'd be more gracious and we'd be more truthful and, and thus be more like Jesus. Are we, are we on board with this goal? Okay. So, so more, more gracious in our dispositions, more concern for, for truth and, and for embodying the truth of Jesus and then thus more looking, acting, feeling like Jesus in the church and in the world. That's where we're going. I hope you're on board. Um, so the question then is, so if, if, this, if this goal is, 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 to, is to act, think, feel more like Jesus, what mechanisms, what strategies has Jesus given to the church to bring this about? Is it just, you know, the spirit at work in the church and Jesus is, you know, the fullness of Christ and we're moving in that direction? Or, or, is, or is there more specific, more practical, given gifts? Uh, and I think, I think in, in this passage that we'll look at, it, Jesus, it actually says that he gives certain gifts to the church uh, to bring this maturity about. And so... Let's, let's just read uh, this passage. It's Ephesians 4. You can follow along on the screen. Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. It's out of the NLT, New Living Translation. Starting at verse 7, it says, However, he has given each one of us a special gift. That, that, that word is grace. He's given each one of us a special gift, a grace gift, through the generosity of Christ. That's why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Okay, real quick. The image here is a king vanquishing his enemies, ascending in victory, and distributing gifts to, to his people from his victory. Okay, verse 9. Notice it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who has ascended higher than all the heavens, so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Which is no small feat. So, verse 11, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to become 
the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. It goes on. We will no longer be immature like children, tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will, be like, we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. This is the word of the Lord. This is a beautiful image that Paul gives to the church in Ephesus and, and through, through this letter gives to the church to just fill our imagination. This is, this is trying to tap into your imagination to picture what it looks like to be the church in its full glory. What does it look like for the church to, to, to live into its calling? This is, what, this is kind of what Paul, the picture that Paul is painting here. In this, in this passage, there's kind of two main claims. If you're going to try to break it down, two main claims that he's making, and then he kind of builds off of them. The first claim is that Jesus has given grace gifts to everyone. And every, all of his people have, have been given gifts from his grace. As an expression of his grace, all have been gifted. Now, this, this series, Grace Callings, is going to be five weeks with an added week because Easter's in the middle. Then following that, there's a whole series where we're exploring actually this very thing. What are the grace gifts that Christ has given to the church or given to everyone for the, for the operation and, and, the, and, the, and the growing and the maturing and the development of the church as a whole? This series is focused on the second claim that's made in verse 11 where it says that Jesus gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds or pastors, and teachers to the church. The, the recipient here is the church. Uh, the recipient in the first one is individuals. The recipient in the second one is the church has been given these, these gifts. And, and in fact, to think about it further, people have been given these gifts. And as a gifted as gifted people, those people have been given to the church as a gift. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's kind of what's happening here. So what I want to do to kind of set this up is to look at verses 11 through 13 a little bit more closely to see how this thought develops. So the claim is made. It's assumed, right? This is what Jesus has done. He's given these five people who are gifted to the church. And then, so again, the claim is made, verse 11. And then the, the question is why? Like, why did he, why did he do this? What, what, what was the purpose in him doing this? Uh, the purpose is, verse 12, their responsibility is to equip God's people, the saints, to do the work of service, that's to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. 
So, so to kind of track with this, the purpose of Jesus giving apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, is to equip, that is to train, to prepare God's people to do God's work. Now, that work might be like formal ministry, but very likely it's, it's not what we would call narrowly ministry, but it's all work that we do unto God. And so it's, it's, a, it's a reframing of the things that we do put in the perspective of God's work. But then it says, particularly for the building up of the church, the body of Christ. So that, that means that all of us, if you're, if you're a part of the church, if you're connected to the head that is Christ, if you're a Christian and you're part of the body, you're being equipped to do the things of, the, you know, to do God's work. It's not something where the leaders do all the work and, and we, the rest of us sit by as like passive consumers. The, <laughs> the setup is that is that that apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher are working in harmony. They're working interdependently, all needing each other as influences to mature the church into her full glory. I, I was thinking about it, and I don't know if, it, if, this, if this image helps, then take it. If it doesn't, then drop it. But I was thinking of you know, the picture of, of Esther, this, this, this woman who in the Old Testament is kind of put into the, 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 the kind of the queen uh, training grounds, if you will. But, but there's, a whole, there's a whole process of, of, of forming her to be a queen fit for the king. If you take that, that, just that image, the church is the bride of Christ. This fivefold function is, is given as a gift to the church to grow her and develop her as a bride fit for the, for the bridegroom. To, 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 to develop and mature her in, 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 in every way to, to be a to be a body fit for the head, to be a bride fit for the groom, to be, a, to be in unity with the, the very heart and, and life of Jesus. Does this, does this make sense? Okay, that's the purpose. So, so the idea here is the priesthood of all believers. We are all priesthood. There's no, there's no hierarchy. There's no, like this person's closer to God and this person, uh, you know, is, is, is the one who tells us everything, and then we just kind of take it, take it at, at, as it is. The idea is that we are all given by, the, by, by Jesus access to the fullness of God in the community, each bringing what we, what we have to build up each other. And this apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher functions to, to kind of gird and, and develop and mature and structure the church to its, to its full potential. So, there's much to be said there, but we'll kind of leave it there. With the result that, so what does it look like if this is, if this is actually happening? The, the, you'll know that this has happened when we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son, knowledge of Jesus, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. 
So that's the, that's, that's the orientation, that's the direction, that's the vision that we're after. Unity in our faith, knowledge of Jesus. It's not just head knowledge, but it's, it's experiential knowledge. It's living and, and thinking and acting and feeling like Jesus in the world. Mature in the Lord. Measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. And so, what I want to do is, uh, is kind of just give a framework for, maybe, for each one of these five very briefly, and then, and then get into the one that I'm going to be specifically talking about. Okay, so I'll admit, if we're going through apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, I, I've taken the difficult task of trying to tackle apostle or trying to tackle prophet. Uh, Apostle Prophet, there's a little bit more like, uh, it's hard to talk about. It's hard to like describe. Pastors, like we get that. It's language that we use. Evangelists, it's not as, not as like, it's not as common, but we still get it. Teachers, like, of course, you can teach. It's unassuming. You're just teaching me. But Apostles and Prophets is a little more like, how does that really function in the church? I'm a little bit leery of that. Not really sure. It's been abused a lot. Uh, maybe we'll just say apostolic or prophetic, and not like get into the labeling. And that's actually fine and appropriate, because it's less about who is in each one of these roles, and it's more about what are they doing, and how are they functioning to develop and mature the church. So, apostle just means one who is sent. We have the Apostle Paul writing this letter. He's sent, commissioned by Jesus himself, to go and be a, a light to the Gentiles as a Jewish a person who had a total reorientation of what it means to know God through the lens of Jesus. A prophet is one who hears God and gives his message to others, often you know, reminding them of what God's already said. Evangelist, one who takes the evangel, the good news, and goes and shares it with the world. A pastor, one who cares and shepherds and, and, and nurtures the people that God's given to him or her in, in their midst. And teacher, one who brings wisdom and insight and discernment to the body. This, just very brief, those are how they're, but they're all meant to function interdependently together. If you have an overemphasis on one over the other, there's going to be a deficiency. There's going to be, it's going to be skewed. There's going to be maybe a really strong arm, but a really weak left thigh. Whatever it is, like, there, we need all of them influencing the church in order for us to fully mature into, into, the, into the image of what God's intended. And so, so that's just to say the five. I'm talking about prophet. I don't know what you think about when you think of prophet. This is one idea. Um, Old Testament, right? This is, I think, I think, I'm not even really sure. But I think it's a picture, a drawing, or a painting of Moses on whether it's Mount Sinai or wherever, receiving the word of God, like writing it on a scroll. I thought it was tablets. I don't know. But anyways, it's, he's up on a mountain. It's very epic and everything else. This is a, actually a very famous painting from the 1800s of Jeremiah outside of the gates of Jerusalem that have just been ransacked by Babylon. And he's writing of, of God's judgment, but also of God's future restoration and uh, and so the, 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 the prophet in particular, out of all five of these, has, has quite a shadow from the Old Testament, like shining in on, like, or a, whatever it is. The shadow 
hanging over the New Testament because there's such a legacy of the prophets. If you think about the rest of those titles or those gifts, there's not as much of a legacy in the Old Testament, at least in, in term. The, but the prophet, that's the man of God, that's the woman of God who hears directly from God for the people. And so how does the prophet function in the New Testament when Jesus has fulfilled the role of the prophet? So, so to give us a, a, a little bit of a framework, I've mentioned some of this, but just to mention again, the prophet in the Old Testament, there were those called by God, very divinely called to be messengers, spokesmen and women to individuals and to nations, mainly to bring God's word to Israel, reminding them of who God was, who they were, what they were to do about it, and what God was going to do about it if they didn't do what they were supposed to do. And so they're functioning in all these ways. Often, though, just as arrows pointing people back to covenant faithfulness. What does it look like to be in relationship with God? God's keeping up his end of the agreement. You need to keep up yours. Pointing out idolatries, pointing out inconsistencies and hypocrisies, pointing out injustice, a call to repent, a call to turn back, follow the way of the Lord. Now, Jesus... Uh, Pastor Bill read this morning, he's on his triumphal entry, it says, the prophet from Nazareth, right? Jesus is, is he, he embodies, all the Old Testament prophets are pointing, in many ways, to the fulfillment of their, of their role in Christ. Jesus, uh, it says in Mark 1, this is what Jesus is saying, when I say fulfilled, I kind of mean, mean what he's saying here. The time promised by God has come at last. That is, the, 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 the summation of, of all of God's intentions is now here. The Son has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. This is classic prophet language that Jesus is, is speaking here. Uh, Walter Brueggemann, a famous Old Testament um, author and writer and scholar, writes this, Jesus is the fulfillment and quintessence of the prophetic tradition. He cannot be understood simply as prophet, for that, de- that designation, like every other, is inadequate for the historical reality of Jesus. Nonetheless, among his other functions, it is clear that Jesus functioned as a prophet. So, so the question is, there's, there's a lot to be said here, and I'll admit I only scratched the surface in many regards. But, but, but what we're going to look at is, how, ha, how does the gift of the prophet to the church uniquely bring about maturity and equipping and development and all these things, right? What is it about the prophet that uniquely equips the church to be who God is calling her to be. That's what we want to look at here. It's helpful, it's helpful to think about the role of the prophet in two, uh, in two dimensions. One dimension is, is the prophet in relation to God. The other dimension is the prophet in relation to God's people. So vertical and horizontal. Uh, just to kind of give some uh, a framework for thinking. Okay, so vertical. The prophet as ears. The prophet listens to the voice of God in a world filled with so many other voices. 
And the prophet invites us to listen along with him or her. Now, as I go through these, it's, it's what I'm not saying, although it's, it's true, but not, what I'm not, I'm not saying here is you need to be more prophetic. What I'm saying is you need to make space for the voice of the prophet in your life. You need to make space and honor and carve out room for the influence of the prophet in your midst. In your midst, personally and as a church, we need to allow the voice and the function of the prophet to have a space at the table. Okay, so that's, that's what I'm doing as I'm going through these. Okay, so ears, listening to the voice of God. Eyes, the prophet isn't just trying to see God, but to see as God sees to see the world as God sees the world. To, the invitation in Scripture to many prophets is come up here. Come and see how I'm seeing this, right? There's this classic scene, and, and I think it's Elijah where, or is it Elisha with the, with the servant? They're so similar. One of these guys, this prophet in the Old Testament, they are, they're on this ridge, and there's this enemy army, and they're about to attack them, and the servant is like freaked out and he's like, we're going to die. And Elijah's like, God, open his eyes so he can see like, like what's ha- actually happening. His eyes are open and he sees the, the armies here on the whole ridge surrounding them is chariots of fire from the spiritual realm. Like, and that's God's perspective. That's what God's doing. He had to have his eyes opened to see. Right? Zechariah says, do not despise the day of small beginnings because God loves when it works starts. That's how God sees. That's not how we would naturally, that's not, that's not what I'm seeing when, I'm, when I see things that I want to be more or bigger or better or whatever. But God says, no, I'm inviting you to see how I see. The prophet takes on this role of seeing as God sees. And doesn't the church need to see as God sees? Okay, so then we have mouth, right? The prophet is much as mouth, gives words to God's word, proclaims, speak on God's behalf. This includes, and I think this is, you see this all over the Bible with the role of a prophet. This includes a willingness to suffer the same painful rejection that the word of God itself does. The word of God, one of the constant themes is that it's rejected. It's spoken and it's not acknowledged. It's spoken and it's not, it's not obeyed. So the prophet takes on this, this, this painful posture of speaking the word of God and acknowledging that it very well may not, it may, it may very well fall on deaf ears. It may, may very well not be heard, but I'm still willing to say it. And so can we invite the voice of the prophet into our life to hear things we don't want to hear? Not, and don't want to hear it for ourselves, our, person, our personal life, and don't want to hear about like social things, but, but it's still coming from God's heart and we still need to hear it. This is the role and the gift of the prophet to the church. And then we have heart, uh, and just another metaphor used throughout Scripture, but it's to feel what God feels on a deep level, to experience things from God's perspective, to really experience the heart of God. Now this, this, this covers the gamut, right? Oftentimes, we, we can kind of think narrowly, 
But God's heart is bigger than our, than our, than our boxes. God's heart, like we can have a heart for something and say it's God's heart, and it is, but God's heart's bigger than our, than our heart. And so the prophet occupies this space of hearing the fullness of God's heart for his people, for the world, for, you know, the plight of the oppressed and the marginalized and all sorts of things like that. Whereas the teacher appeals to the mind, the prophet appeals to the heart. The underlying motivations for why we do the things we do or don't do the things we don't do. And the prophet guards the collective heart of God's people. And so the Proverbs say, above all else, guard your heart, for from it is the wellspring of life. So the prophet functions as a, play, as a, as a guardian over the heart of God's people. Exposing, you know, allowing, hearing the heart of God and, and sharing it with God's people. Okay, so that's just a few things to helpful bodily images to help us think through the vertical dimension of the prophetic calling. A few more uh, in the horizontal. This is the role, the gift of the prophet to the church in relation to the church. Now, just to say up front, I think sometimes we, I'll, I'll just admit, we can have a narrow view of what the prophetic is or what the role of the prophet is. But when we, look at, when we look at the church as bigger than our church, we can see that the role of the prophet is oftentimes not what we would be the first to, to, to call it as. And so as I go through this, I'll mention one or two examples of that. Uh, so the prophet reminds the church of God's love and faithfulness. Like, amen, this is good. We need the voice of the prophet to remind us of God's goodness, of his love, of his faithfulness, of his, of his sovereignty, of his purposes in the world when we can't see it, of his heart for us as his people, even when we don't deserve it. Also, the prophet calls the church to obedience and to faithfulness, which, which, in, which anticipates there being disobedience and unfaithfulness. But there's a call back, which, is, which jumps down to later, that the calls the church to repentance. Where, where do we need to turn and acknowledge our wrongs? Like, I think oftentimes we don't, we don't invite this voice. We don't like to be told we're wrong in our assumptions, in our posture in the world. But, the, but inviting the voice of the prophet into the church allows for there to be space to be corrected. Not just individually, but corporately. Not just for what's going on in our midst, but our posture and our mindset and our disposition toward the world. The voice of the prophet invites, or when, when welcomed and honored and, 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 and acknowledged, brings course correction, points out inconsistencies, hypocrisies, all these things that we need. I'll jump around a little bit. Uh, strengthens, encourages, and comforts the church, very much like the first one, but this is what Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 14 as the role of the prophetic ministry at large, is to strengthen, encourage, and comfort the church. Uh, then I say, is keenly aware of idolatries within the church and wants them uprooted. Uh, along with that, I did mention earlier, but I'll say it again, inconsistencies. Okay, I'll mention one here. An incons- a prophetic, the prophet acknowledges the inconsistency when we get beyond our box and we see, uh, for instance, this concept of God's heart for 
for life, the sanctity of human life, right? This is a big deal. But, but when we, we can get narrow in the sense that we can, we can be, and this is good and faithful and, and just for the life of the unborn, but kind of miss sometimes the, the life of the born, of, 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 the, of, the, of, the, of the criminal justice system, of mass incarceration, of some of these things that we don't want to talk about. But the prophet exposes the inconsistency. If, it's a, if, if you're for life, then be for life. And allow for the conversation to be bigger than, than only one aspect of that. But let it be that. But let it be bigger. right? It, it, there's this uncomfortable nature to it. Because we, 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 can, we can be narrow. That's, that's, that's what I'm saying. And there's, room, there's conversation here. But the conversation needs to be had and the prophet initiates the conversation. Continually puts before the church God's heart for justice, very similar to what I said. Talking to a friend, uh, one, of, one of the wise among us at Intersection, he points out, you know, Martin Luther King in the 60s, he, he was considered a very prophetic figure. Many people weren't fond of him. He had a, like a 90% negative approval rating in the, in the time that he was alive. Um, but the, but the people who were in the midst of the social justice movement in the 60s very much acknowledged a prophetic calling on his life, right? And so we may not see, and, and, and I think now, right, there's this negative approval rating of like 90 or 75, and now it's swung all the way to the like opposite. 90% everyone loves him, right? But in the time, it wasn't the case. Um, and, so, and so I think when we get beyond the walls of our demographics and our church, we can see that the prophetic is functioning on, on levels that we're not always familiar with. And we might actually not even call it that. We might just call it rebellion. But, but when God is, is bringing it up, we need to acknowledge the voice of the prophet in the church. Which, which kind of goes into the last one. The, the prophet speaks truth to power. And there's a, whole, there's a whole world behind that. Um, but, but just to say, when we, get, when, we, when we broaden our understanding of the role and the gift of the prophet to the church, sometimes there's, there's some things that come up where it's like, I, I don't know if I even agree with that. I don't know if, if I want that. I might want like this aspect of the gift of the prophet, but I don't want that one. But... What I'm, what I'm trying to encourage us in is like we need the whole gift in the church because it's for our good. It's for our own maturity and development, which, needs, which means we have to get over ourselves in a lot of ways and know that the motivation behind it is to be faithful to where God's calling us to go. And so some of these, we can be like kind of have these attachments to some of these other things that aren't where God's calling us to go. And we, we feel the tension because it's pulling on this string. We're attached over here and God's trying to cut it off because he's taking us somewhere. I hope you're tracking with me. So what I want to do is just invite us into a posture of prayer just to kind of finish up and, and really just to, to pray recognizing that, that, that we need help to receive the gift of the prophet with an open heart to receive, to make space for, to honor what Christ is doing, to form the church into his image through the gifting and the calling of the prophet. 